The stories of Southern black women are breathtakingly illuminated at Signature Theater in a soaring musical based on the acclaimed novel and film The Color Purple, featuring DC superstar Nova Y. Payton as Seeley and the voices Frenchie Davis. The Color Purple is filled with jazz, gospel, and blues music, performed by a cast of 16 and a live orchestra. Bring the whole family to see this Tony-winning musical live on stage now through October 9th at Signature Theater. Get tickets today at sigtheater.org. The, is it morning yet, deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Wake up with a little splash of sweetness. Get any size iced coffee from caramel to hazelnut to French vanilla for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Remain seated, please. Permanecer sentados, por favor. We finally are making it happen. It's the Remain Seated podcast, which every week is with me, Gina Barberi, and my son Festus, or you're probably going to have to be Aiden for this episode. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Pop is going to let us let us do the Festus you're thing. You're Aiden. That's it. All you're right. Aiden. Whatever you want, we'll you're make it You're the man, happen. A. And this is my <laughs> dad, Tom Barberi. Le- legend- legendary. Legendary. The legendary Tom Barberi. <laughs> you are, Pop. I have people tell me every day. I love your dad. I listened to your dad when I was growing up. They like, remember? They do. Wow. And they miss you. Oh, that's really nice. Uh, I miss them. You. So so we're going to be talking to two different sets of people here. People who know and love you and people who, who don't know your who story. Never heard of me yet. So we're, we're going to tell your story. Okay. Um, and even people that know and love you and don't know your story. Okay. <laughs> I, guess, I guess those, those two Those could be out there. Happen. Yeah. I'm going to crack my Fanta real quick. Oh, okay. Yep. There you go. Uh, you got a Fanta. I've got a Diet Coke. Pop's got a Mike's Hard Lemonade. We're set. Yep. Yo. I think I think we're good to go now. <laughs> um, legalizing adulthood in, in Utah, Pop. Hasn't been easy. Uh, it's funny. I, I just, for some reason, looked that up because I don't think I've ever shown fe- Aiden. <laughs> it's, uh, you're going to have a hard time with this. Uh, your book. Oh. Did you know it's on Amazon? No. I just bought a copy. You're kidding. Legalize Adulthood in Utah by Tom Barberi. It's on Amazon. <laughs> what they what they sell it for? Uh, nine bucks. You're kidding. So nine I hope bucks. I hope you get I don't get a dime of no. that. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Bezos. Oh. <laughs> Richest man in the country. I thought I thought I was mm. gi- giving you some money there, no? Nine bucks? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's way overpriced. Nine bucks. it so so his book was a collection of, he used to run a weekly column in the Salt Lake Tribune. Right. And um, collected, do you have any idea how many articles were in there? It's a pretty thick book. I wrote for about 18 years. So a good and amount. So there's a, there's a good chunk of uh, columns. I went through and, and when, it, when I was going to do the book, I had a whole stack of my columns cut out of the paper. And so I went through and selected various columns that I thought might be interesting on uh, various topics. And so I put it together in the book. So, so, so why was he writing a column in the paper? Let's, let's back way, way up, Pop, <laughs> to Gilroy, California. Oh, my goodness. The garlic capital of the world. 
where you were born. That's right. To Sal and Anita. Anita and Sal on the ranch. And you were born there and... Wheeler Hospital. You remember the hospital? Wow. Wheeler Hospital in Gilroy. Not not at home? No. <laughs> Nani made it to the hospital. Yeah, I think so, yes. And um, your father was a farmer. Yep. And mom stay at home. Yes. Italian mother. Italian farmer mom. She was hilarious, by the way. Yes. You you got your sense of humor from her. Funny lady. Very very funny lady. And and grandpa strong. Serious. Serious. Yes. Well, he's Grandpa Sal. <laughs> grandpa, Sal. grandpa Sal. You gotta he was, be. He was stern. Ridiculously handsome. He was a good-looking man. Really, all, like his whole life. Yes. And um, so growing up there on the farm, did you have any thought that you would continue with farming or you wanted to get out of there? I wanted uh, wanted farming. I loved it. But I had asthma. And that was the bane of my existence. And I really feel bad. To this day, I feel bad for my parents because they did everything they could to uh, help ameliorate my asthma. In fact, they even uh, moved us to San Jose. And so Pop would commute every day from San Jose to the ranch. Oh, that's, I didn't know that. That's yeah. why they moved to San Jose. Yeah, because of my asthma. And I've always felt guilty to this day that they had to move because of me. Because they, they would have just stayed there. <clears throat> oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we built a, a nice, beautiful home on the ranch, which I loved. And uh, my cousin, uh, Richie and Pat and Joey, lived a half mile away on their ranch just uh, south of us and so we were all there and Barberry Brothers just down the road so now what was Barberry Brothers that was uh, John Frank and Octavius John and Frank ran the ranches down there Pop uh, broke away from the brothers because he wanted to run his own ranch but he he was still working with them on his own ranch and their ranch what were you ranching uh, prunes primarily prunes mm -hmm. You know, dried plums, really. Well, <laughs> let's not get into that. I mean, that's always a big argument. Yeah, that's we, a whole other podcast. We raised prunes on prune trees. They were not. They were not plum trees. Plum tree is another animal altogether. Is it? Oh, see, I didn't know. Yes. It okay. Is. See, you're, we're learning already. We yeah. are. There so how go. much? How much land are we talking about with all these? I, we had about forty acres, and uh, the brothers had about uh, fifty, and uh, then we farmed all of that. And we had big dehydrators on uh, my uncle's ranches, but the dehydrators were great big drying tunnels. They were like a, a single garage door, mm -hmm. and you have the prunes, uh, fresh prunes that are picked, put them on trays, and then you put them uh, through a, a washing process, uh, and then they put them on trays, and then you slide them, the trays on these carts into these uh, kind of garages, close the doors, and you turn the fans on, and you dehydrate them. Mm -hmm. And that's where the prunes come out, shrinkle Pretty. like a prune. <laughs> that's where they get shriveled. The dried plums. Dried, the dried no, plums. no, that's a different no, that's thing. that's a different thing. Yeah. You've already oh. been through yeah, this. That's a dried Would prune. Would you pay attention? I haven't been taking notes. I'm sorry. <laughs> so then you get dried prunes. And that's where you, if you get a box of sunsweet and your mm -hmm. prunes, and that's how you get dried prunes. But you didn't want to be a prune rancher. I did. You did want to be a prune yeah, rancher. Yeah, but because of my asthma, I was, I couldn't really uh, spend a lot of time outside. I was always sick, and so that was, you know, and I, I hated it. But my parents did everything they could to uh, uh, help me with my my asthma, 
And so that's why we had to move to San Jose, and Pop had to uh, commute back and forth to the ranch from our home in San Jose. So I grew up at really in Willow Glen, San Jose. So so let's talk about uh, how that led you to your illustrious football and wrestling career. Well, uh, in, even I was, I was so sick, I never even took a gym uh, in uh, junior high school. You got a note from Nani? Yep. Uh, <laughs> I was I was in the library. Everybody else had gym class, but I was in the library because I couldn't take gym. And then when I got to be a, like a, a junior sophomore junior in high school I started to come out of the asthma and I got to go to gym class and I was just the happiest guy in the world I could actually go out and play ball mm -hmm. and uh, <clears throat> when I graduated high school I was about five nine hundred eighty or 170 pounds and uh, I was determined I told my dad I said pop I'm gonna go play football because he played some semi-professional sports, didn't he? He was a baseball player. Yeah. Yeah, he was a semi-pro baseball player. He could have been a pro, but uh, back in those days, he had to stay on the ranch. He, was, he had to choose. Yeah. Where did he play semi-pro ball? Uh, San Francisco Seals in the Bay Area. I have a picture of his baseball team. Yeah. It's really cool. Really? Oh, I think it's, it's hanging up in your house, yep. right? Yeah. Isn't that a great picture? Yep. Yep. He was a catcher. He had big hands, huge hands. Strong as an ox, man. Sal, he he never had to hit you. All he had to just grab you with his hand, and it's like being picked up by a vice. <laughs> he was an amazingly strong man. Paul me like a basketball. Oh, <laughs> he could. He really could. But uh, anyway, I told him I said I want to go play football. And he says, Yeah, I'll give you about a week. <laughs> and I said, All right, Pop, I'll show you. Well, I was going to show him. So then I went to uh, the coach's office at uh, City College. San Jose City College. Yep. I went out there and worked out for about a half hour. I got him worked up a good sweat. Went into their office and, and uh, announced my presence. And I said, <laughs> hello, coaches. My name is Tom Arberry, and I want to play football for you. And they said, okay, great. What uh, high school are you from? Willow Glen. Well, Willow Glen was noted for uh, great football oh. teams. So they were impressed. Even was, though you didn't play with. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they you said, were from great. there. You were from Willow Glen. Wow. <laughs> Would you play? Well, I didn't. And Coach Wheelahan says, what do you mean you didn't? I, uh, I never played. He says, well, you can't play here. I said, sure I can't. No. He says, no. Guys play here. They come in uh, from four-year schools trying to make up grades, come in out of the service, trying to get a, to a four-year scholarship. I says, You're, you, you can't play with these guys. I said, play. So three days, I went back to the gym, and they were passing out uniforms, and I would sit there waiting, and he was passing out uniforms. And at the end of the day, I was still sitting there, and <laughs> Wheelahan looks at me, and, oh, geez. <laughs> On the third day, I was still there. He finally says, all right. That shows you just have to be persistent. Yes. You have to want it. You want it that bad. So he scrounged up some pads and a uniform, and I was at a helmet, and God, I was happy as a clam. <laughs> And then I went in the locker room and I watched the other guys. Where this pad goes here. Because you'd never put them on. No. <laughs> this this is a knee pad and this is a thigh pad. And, oh, big number in the back, little number in the front. I learned all this stuff. And I, so I put the gear on. I went outside and I was trying to get used to feeling this stuff. I said, this is cool. And so I thought, I got to test this out. So I ran, ran headlong into a chain link fence. <laughs> And I bounced off, 
It's a good thing you were wearing those pads. On purpose, you ran into Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just to test them Just, out. I was testing the gear. Yeah. And if, I, if you can take a fence, you can take a large man. You bet. And I bounced off and landed on the ground. I go, that didn't hurt. I am invincible. This is cool. So I was ready to go. And then you shot yourself in the leg. Yeah. Didn't even hurt. Nah. So I learned by doing, watching the other guys and uh, mimicking. I figured they know what they're doing, so I'll just try to mimic what they did. And uh, uh, they started out with about uh, 90 guys, and we wound up with about 60, and I was still on the team. You were making the cut. I made the cut. So. And what uh, position? Uh, I was a, a linebacker, defensive end. I always played defense because I was too stupid to understand offensive football. I couldn't understand the, the A-hole, B-hole, the, the two-gap, the three-gap. You know, the I, 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 offensive football was beyond my comprehension. <laughs> so I was in, in, in playing defense, all you do is tackle the guy with the ball. That's all you, you had to do. You could do that. I could do that. <laughs> and I loved it. That was the most fun. Mm-hmm. Playing, uh, I could say, linebacker or defensive end. And that was just the most fun. And you bounced around a little bit doing that. Yep. Uh, went, went up to Idaho State. And I played. Were they the Vandals then? No, ben- Bengals. The Bengals. The Bengals. They're the Vandals yeah. now, I think. No, no, no. Uh, uh, University of uh, Idaho is are the Vand- Vandals. And Idaho State are the Bengals. Okay. So we always had the chance, uh, go Bengals beat the Vandals, go Bengals beat the Vandals, because <laughs> they were our, our arch rival, because mm-hmm. that was uh, Utah's, uh, University of Utah, uh, University Idaho. University of Idaho, and I went to Idaho State. Now when I was at Idaho State, it converted to a university. And I told my fo- folks, I says, guess what? I'm going to Idaho State University. That sounds very impressive. Yeah. Didn't mean a thing, but it was a change in the name. Yeah. <laughs> so I played spring ball up there and learned as much as I could and came back to San Jose because I didn't know that they had snow in Idaho. <laughs> and I just thought, I didn't want to do this. No. That, that will come back later, by the way, Festus. Yeah, I don't <laughs> like that we have snow. <laughs> <laughs> so you went back home to San Jose. Then I played, and I played very well at San Jose, and I got a scholarship to uh, Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. So I went down there to play, and uh, we were playing spring ball and getting ready for the spring game, and I took a real nasty hit and got a, a bad concussion. Mm-hmm. It put me in a hospital, and it knocked me out of the spring game. Coaches wouldn't let me play in the spring game. And it was, it was kind of funny, because I had four roommates who lived in a house, and I had to call my parents because they were going to come down and watch the spring game. Mm-hmm. And so the, on my side of the phone, it was, no, Ma, I'm okay. I got a concussion. No, it was my head. <laughs> I, I, I got knocked out. Yes, I was wearing my hat. Your hat, not your helmet, your hat. <laughs> yeah, and my, my, my roommates are rolling on the floor. They're just laughing yes, like I was wearing my hat. I was wearing my hat, <laughs> yes. So I said, I'm not gonna play the game so you don't have to come down. But- uh, Did they get to see you play though ever? No. Oh. I. Uh, after that, I went back home and decided, well, that's probably it. So then I left school, and that was the end of my college career. Well, that wasn't the end of your career career, just the end of your <laughs> college and football career. So yes. now we're going to transition from football to radio, because that's not a natural transition. It is in this case, though. <laughs> well, it was funny. I, I laid around 
and uh, sat in the basement of my folks' house for about six months because I was just kind of depressed. You didn't really have a plan on what to no, do next. No, I didn't know what to do next. And uh, my pop, he says, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you should go buy a gas station, look at your store, you got to get you a job. And I said, oh, I'll get a job. And then a friend of mine, <clears throat> his dad owned a big warehouse, and a couple of buddy mine, uh, buddies of mine were working there, and so he gave me a job at the warehouse. And great, I got a job at the warehouse, so we were unloading boxcars. So me and two other uh, buddies of mine, we unloaded boxcars, which was a terrific, love, hard physical labor. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the worst was we called them discers. It was soda ash. They were great big 100-pound sacks mm -hmm. of soda ash. And we have to uh, unload the, so the, the boxcar soda ash uh, from the boxcar onto pallets, and pe they pick them up with a forklift and bring them in and stack them in the warehouse. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the hardest job in the world was loading these... Uh, Just all day moving big heavy things? Heavy, yeah, heavy, heavy sacks of uh, soda ash. So I did that for... Oh, about a year, and then a buddy of mine, Barney, his dad, uh, another friend of mine, their dads both own Keen uh, uh, radio station in San Jose. K-E-E-N. K-E-E-N, yeah. And Barney knew I was a screwball, <laughs> and uh, he says, well, you, you ought to go on the radio. And I said, okay. So, and you never even thought about that no, before, yeah. No, but it sounded cool. <laughs> so they let me go on. Uh, one day a week on the weekends, and it was down in the basement of the Dianza Hotel in San Jose. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, I'm in an air-conditioned room. <laughs> the heaviest thing I have to pick up is a record album. <laughs> this I can do. <laughs> I like this. This is much less physically demanding. Oh, man, yeah, I'm not killing myself. So I just love the microphone. So you had one, one day a week at... Keen. And you had like a, a shift. You yeah. spun records and yep. played records. At, uh, and then every time on the hour, I had to go K E E N F M San Jose, California. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to wait for the you know the clock to yeah, come yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. That was hard do, doing the uh, the ID. The, the, I, the, the legal ID. You the can get in trouble if you don't do that right. Oh, you had to do that within two minutes of the top of the hour. That's do why it's mentally exhausting. Exactly. I was watching the clock. Make sure you get the legal ID in there. Now, back so, then, didn't you need an engineering license? Yes. So, and that's what the, Barney told me. He says, you really got to get a, an engineering license if you want to work for a, a radio station. I said, what do I do? He said, well, there's a school down in uh, Burbank. So I went down there. Ogden, I saved up my money from uh, working in the warehouse. To I went to Ogden's Radio Operational Engineering School. It was called Ogden's. Uh, because the guy was uh, named... Uh, uh, Steve Ogden, that was his name. That's that's also yeah. prophetic. Yeah. yeah, the old man was uh, Steve Ogden. So went down there and uh, it's like an eight-week course, and it's just a cram course studying all kinds of weird formulas because it's all mathematics. Mm -hmm. And I could not do math, but he had all these weird formulas that we had to memorize. And after a while, you could sit there and just look at these huge problems and see the formula and just work them out. See, that's was, pretty amazing. Stunned. No, nobody, nobody knows how to do that anymore. You have an engineer yeah. at the station, but it used to be that everybody that was on the air had to be able to do. Had this. to have a first phone. Had to have a license because you had to go in and read the meters mm -hmm. and adjust the uh, daytime, nighttime, uh, and so. And I had to do that. KLIV had to go in and read the meters. 
once an hour. Because they don't want to pay a, a dedicated person to, oh, absolutely. to, to do that. No. you got to be the guy on the air and also the engineer. So that, that I got my first class license. So then I was driving back from uh, Burbank to San Jose, and then I saw on the side of the mountain, and in San Luis Obispo, I saw KOAG call letters on the side of the mountain. Aha! So I drove up there, <laughs> and I applied for a job. Just like that? Just like that. And did you have a, a air check? Did you no, have a no? no you no. just walked. Down. I had a license. All you needed was a license. They didn't have to know whether you could do anything. If or you had two legs and a license, you were hired, <laughs> because back in those days, that was the most important thing was having a license. If you had that, you were in. They didn't care if you could talk or not. <laughs> You'll I'll, figure that part out later. I'll never forget when this, this guy, uh, crazy old man, Mr. Irwin, hired me. He says, "Okay." He says, remember, religion stays in church, politics stays in the ballot box, and uh, that's it. <laughs> and you, you apply that same principle to your show, right? Mike? Yeah, we yeah. don't talk about any no, of those things. You can't no, talk about no. any of that. You don't have opinions. So I'm thinking, what the hell can I talk about? So I go on the air, and uh, I'm playing radio. Mm-hmm. First time. Got a studio. And the fun- funniest thing is, the studio is on this ranch. And so he had to drive uh, through uh, San Luis Obispo in, in uh, Pozo, I think it was. Or no, I forget the name of the town. Uh, but anyway, you get to the ranch, and you had to go through a gate, and it had to close the gate because there's cows the, in yeah, there. Yeah, don't let the cows out. Don't let the cows going out. to your radio job. And then the, the Ooh, studio, the cows there was a, it was like a barn. And there was a breezeway, and this side of the barn was a radio station. There was a transmitter and the uh, radio station. The other side of the barn was the cows. <laughs> and a big screen door, because you had to have some air. Yeah. And the cows would come up to the screen and go, <laughs> well, you're on the air. So it was. You a, make him a character of your show. Exactly. <laughs> a guest host. Here's Mr. Moo. <laughs> so that was my uh, first radio job, and I could do anything I want because it. I had a license and I was on the air. And I worked, uh, uh, the morning show was six to noon. Six to noon? Six to noon. It's a long morning show. Yeah. You six, couldn't do that, I'm a Mom. slacker now. Six you couldn't show. go to your afternoon movie no. if you did that. <laughs> I couldn't take my nap. No. I couldn't do all kinds of things. And uh, it was, it was um, like I say, a six-hour show. And uh, I was getting the first taste of radio and I was doing that. Then how did you move from there up to KLIV in San Jose? Well, I wanted to, uh, the big station back then at uh, in San Luis Obispo was KSLY, K-Slide. And I really wanted to go to work for K-Slide. Yeah. So I went up there, applied for a job, and they said, well, the only thing we can offer you is uh, uh, four weeks vacation time because guys are going on vacation so you can fill in for them. I said, I'll take it. It's like an audition kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So I was out for four weeks, and uh, I wound up getting a full-time job. Because you're good. I was having fun. <laughs> I was, uh, and I had my uh, bells and whistles and horns. So, so if I can stop you there, Festus, Papa had a briefcase <laughs> that he would take, you know, for work, and he'd open his briefcase. And he had a kazoo and a cowbell. What else did you have? A little horn. A horn. A little horn. I could squeak, squeak, squeak. But it looked like, you know, well, he's got important work papers in there. No, he's got... My toys. It's not in a a red, colorful backpack. Oh, no. It's in a... 
briefcase. Leather briefcase. Yep. <laughs> All my toys are in there. I open it up and there's my whistle. And I had a coach's whistle. And so I just, I made lots of noise <laughs> on the radio. And uh, it became very popular. In fact, they did a big story with uh, on me on, in San Luis Obispo. I was on the cover of this a magazine section of the newspaper, mm-hmm. uh, blowing a whistle and all kinds of, and a kazoo. And Do you all have that stuff. anywhere? Somewhere I've got, yeah. I've oh, got, I'd love to see that. Yeah, I've got a picture of it. Uh, yes, I've got it somewhere. You still got that kazoo? No, I wish I had. <laughs> but uh, I got those pictures, I think. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. So I was just really having a ball. And um, I met your mom and wound up. Um, having dinner at your mom's house every night. The the sainted Mary Claire. The right? sainted yep. Mary Claire. With with Marge and Charlie. Marge and Charlie. And uh, I love Marge and Charlie and Tom and uh, Pat. And I, I was just part of the family. Because we weren't dating. I, I was just there <laughs> every night. Nobody knew why. Dinner. You know, I, I just showed up. <laughs> I guess I was, Tom's here again for yes, dinner. Well, I'm there for dinner. Put out an extra place, Matt. It's funny, after about a, a year and a half, Marge and, and Claire got together and says, well, September would be a nice month, nice month for a wedding. <laughs> That's how the proposal went. Huh? And I, I said, what? How romantic. I said, okay. <laughs> I guess. I guess. It, I'm part of the family that, anyway. That, you know, you, she likes to arrange things, so that doesn't surprise me. Be a nice oh, yeah. month for a wedding. Yeah. They <laughs> run me around like a dog on a leash. And so then I figured, well, I can't stay at KLIV. I mean, at K-Sly, because that didn't pay that well. I've got to get a real job. If you're going to get married, you got to be responsible. So I looked in the um, in uh, <laughs> box jocks. In, uh, like a trade paper? Trade magazine. Uh, and there was a job at KGNU in Santa Clara. So I called and made an appointment, came up and uh, did an interview and got a job at KGNU in Santa Clara. It was a dinky little station, mm-hmm. but it was in Santa Clara. So I went to work there. And uh, then we got married. And the station was... In September, it was beautiful. It was the it's perfect... It's a nice month for a wedding. A nice month for a wedding. <laughs> And I was working there for a while, but I really wanted to go to work for KLIV, which was the station. That was the big, the big wig. Big wig. And luckily, I, uh, the uh, sales manager for KGNU was going to go to work for KLIV. Oh. Max Reeder. And I'll never forget, I was on the air one day at KGNU, and I played a song, Cuando uh, Caliente El Sol. And so I announced the song, I says, Cuando Caliente El Sol. Loosely translated, that means, how much do you charge to fix these shoes? <laughs> and What was the answer? And Max, Max just laughed and laughed. And so when he went over to KLIV, he told the program director, he says, you got to hire this kid. He's, he's pretty good. So I went over and uh, Michael Hunter, Captain Mikey, was the uh, program director at KLIV. And uh, so he hired me for the weekends uh, doing midnight to six. I've uh, done that. That's that, a fun that one. That sounds horrible. Oh, it's horrible. That's I mean, by the time it's, you know, five o'clock in the morning, you're just, uh, mm-hmm. trying to stay awake. And the whole rest of the world is on a different schedule. You go home yeah. and go to bed. I'm driving home with one eye open and everybody's going to work. Yep. And then you try to sleep uh, until well, like one o'clock or n- noon or one o'clock. Mm-hmm. 
and then hang around for the rest of the day to go to work. It's a weird shift. I did it for like six months. And then finally the morning guy left and they moved me from all nights to mornings. The big show. The big show. Now, were you by yourself, or did yep. you have a, you didn't have a partner? Or? Well, uh, I had uh, Jim Braden was the newsman. He was going to San Jose State, and uh, Jack, oh gosh, can't think of his last name. He was the news director. He did the news, and the studio was here. And then through the glass was the uh, the news, mm-hmm. and uh, you could see the news guys, and they could see me, and they would do the news. And then I started doing banter back and forth with them. I just love talking with guys. Yeah. And so it became kind of a shtick. A, sh- a show kind of developed on its own. Exactly. And then Jack started writing closings for my show, which became the huge feature of the program. The Barberry Show is brought to you by Ernie's in Madrone. And the costumes were provided by... And we did this whole Your wardrobe list. Was wardrobe, <laughs> makeup, and the food, and transportation provided. And we, we did this whole list of stuff at the end of every show. I love it. And it was very funny. It was a different one every day. Mm-hmm. And so and, and Jim and Jack used to write those. At the show closing is what they were. Yeah. And everybody lived for the show, show closings. I, l- I might want to steal that. Oh, it's a great, great idea. I might want to steal that. I like that. Because they're funny. Like, yeah. You know, it's uh, brought to you by the Coca-Cola Bottling Company. And uh, today I'm awake because of the Folgers. And, I mean, you just go on and on, you know. I want to thank uh, uh, Desiree Industry for providing the costumes. For the, and none of show. them were paying for this, right? No, no. No, yeah. no, no yeah. exactly. I love it. Folgers so didn't just, give you any money. Exactly. You just pick the whole thing up. Yeah. And, and just pull it out of, uh, out of the air. Mm-hmm. I and love it. It's just very funny stuff. Just use your imagination. Yeah. So you're at KLIV. Yep. And now this part of the story, I don't know how it came about. Well, we're going to find out. <laughs> because this is where, where I come into it. Because right. you were working at KLIV when I was born. You were born. Yep. Come, come into the world. And um, my mom told me, it was kind of crazy that you were so popular that fans sent baby gifts <laughs> for me when I like clothes and stuff. They did when I was born. Yep. So I was, I was well. born into radio very literally. You were. I was a character on the show from birth. Exactly. And my goal all my life was to work at KSFO in San Francisco. That was the really big Ah, uh, My hero was Don Sherwood. He was Mr. San Francisco. I love Sherwood, love KSFO. And I developed a relationship with Al Newman, the program director at KSFO. So I would go up, oh, every couple of months and visit with Al, and we developed a... The stories of Southern black women are breathtakingly illuminated at Signature Theater in a soaring musical based on the acclaimed novel and film The Color Purple, featuring D.C. superstar Nova Y. Payton as Celie and the voices Frenchie Davis. The Color Purple is filled with jazz, gospel, and blues music performed by a cast of 16 and a live orchestra. Bring the whole family to see this Tony-winning musical live on stage now through October 9th at Signature Theater. Get tickets today at sigtheater.org. At Marshalls, our buyers hustle every day for the brands you love. Hello? They can calculate the quality-to-cost ratio simply by touch. Ooh, silk. They can hear the difference between an Italian suede handbag and an Italian leather one. Yeah. 
But most importantly, they know a good deal when they hear one. That sounds like a good deal. We'll take them all. Visit Marshalls and take home more for your money. More brands, quality, trends. More of the good stuff. We get the deals. You get the good stuff. Marshalls. This relationship, and he would write me back and encourage me. And, uh, you know, there's nothing now. One time there was an opening possibly for the weekends, and I told him, I, and I, I turned it down. I said, no, you I, need want, a I need job. a full-time yeah. job. I can't work the weekends in San Francisco and live in San Jose. So, and in the meanwhile, uh, Bruce Bell at Call Radio was also friends with Al Newman at KSFO. So, Call Radio in Salt Lake City with, right. with Newman in San Francisco, they were And friends. Bruce went to... Uh, Al and says, you know, we're looking for a guy for to do mornings. Al says, well, there's this kid down in San Jose who's uh, pretty good, as you might be interested in him. Bruce contacted me out of the blue at uh, KLIV and says, uh, we'd like to offer you a job. And uh, That's a big deal. I mean, big it's deal. one thing to be, you know, angling to go to San Francisco, which is just a little ways further up the coast. Yeah. Thinking about moving to Utah from California. Exactly. That's a that's a huge move. And so they flew me to Salt Lake City. And what uh, year was this? Seventy. And uh, well, I was really impressed. Flew me up to Salt Lake, and they and they, and I went downtown. And Call was right downtown. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. You like that. And it's a big three-story building, big Call AM FM downtown. I said, Wow, this is big time. So I was impressed with their facilities. And the, the people were the, just the nicest people in the world. So, so I'll take it. Didn't they drive you up in the avenues? Yes, they did. To like show you the views. They drove me up in the avenue, and it was, it was like uh, June. And oh, the, the mountains were green with snow cap, and the valley was clear green. And I looked out the valley, and it was just gorgeous. I said, wow, this place is beautiful. So I said, I'm hooked. So I went and I figured, well, I'll come to work here for three or four years and go back to San Francisco. This is a stepping stone. That to, was my plan. Yeah. But I came to call, loved it, had so much fun, 30 years pass. Just, it was the greatest now, people in the world to work now for. Now, did, did San Francisco ever call you and say, hey, we're ready for you? No. No. I didn't care. But, but you no, were you fine. Didn't need them I, was, I didn't want to. I, I, I loved call. I loved the people. I loved Salt Lake. I was just, I was in, in heaven. Now, it's quite a different environment moving from California to what I imagine Salt Lake was like in the 70s. Very. A lot smaller, probably. In fact, I I remember when they drove me downtown, it was on a Sunday. And I said, where is everybody? (laughs) And Betty said, well, they're in church. And I said, all of them? (laughs) About 60%, yeah. He said, yeah. Okay, that was my introduction to Utah. So I w- I'm curious if you ever had any missteps when you first got here, not understanding the culture. Yeah, I didn't know what conference was. And L- LDS conference. Yeah, we just had that. I yeah. think actually. <laughs> right. Yeah. Back then, they didn't have direct TV and satellite and cable and stuff, and I really got pissed because they interrupted my Vikings game. <laughs> And I went on the air, and I got really pissed. Oh. I said, what is this garbage? They interrupted my football game with this nonsense from some tabernacle. And my boss came to me and says, no, 
No, you don't do that. <laughs> We're going to get some angry letters. Yes. And uh, they tried to fire me many times. But they were the show, not successful. The show was popular, and advertisers liked the fact that I made the money. You, yeah, you can get away with a lot of, if you're bringing in money. If you're bringing in money. And I was making money for George, George Hatch. And uh, I don't care what the kid does, he's making me money. <laughs> and uh, so they, they, I just learned, you don't talk about certain things. I was, okay, all right. Did you ever have anybody pull ads because of something you said? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to name names, but we still have people that say, that are on our station, that say we won't advertise during that morning show. Yeah. Well, I did a stupid thing because we had Durant Scudder Pizza. And we did a lot of things with Durant Scudder. And I love Durant Scudder Pizza. pizza. It was great. But I did a stupid thing. I said on the air, says, yeah, we, we ate so much pizza, I went out in the parking lot and threw up. <laughs> no, that's not saying that pizza's bad. That's saying you no, ate I, a lot of it. Exactly. And it, it was a delicious. compliment. It was delicious. It didn't sit well with the owners of Duratskiller. And they pulled their ads. And it was, it was stupid on my part. It yeah. was just really stupid. And I thought, my God, that was, that was really dumb. You, don't, you have to think a little bit before you say dumb things. Especially when it's live. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Right now you can say whatever you want, and I'll fix it later. Yeah. <laughs> or it's but, a podcast. It doesn't matter. It doesn't right. matter what you say. But, uh, yeah, back in those days, you had to be a little careful. So that was my first lesson, and, boy, you don't, don't want to do that. What are some of the things you fell in love with with Salt Lake that made you want to stay? Oh, God. Well, the people, the friendliness. Uh, I was I was stunned. I would... I was looking for uh, an address one time driving around, and there was a guy uh, cleaning out his garage, and I stopped and leaned out the window, and I said, excuse me, can you tell me where this is? He comes over to the car, and he goes, no, but let me see, and he takes the map and puts it out of my hood and starts looking, and he's showing me where everything is on this map. I'm like, wow, this is incredible. Guy doesn't know me, but he's taking all his time. The, The people were just so friendly and helpful. I was just taken with... Yeah, there goes the phone. Yeah. <laughs> Taken with the uh, the people and uh, their attitude, which was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I loved it, and the pace was slower. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I just I'm 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 thinking of it like you know how converts to a religion are more fervent about that religion than people were born into it. Yeah, I feel like that's you with Utah and Salt Lake. Like I you're love Salt Lake. you're a bigger fan maybe than people that were born here. Maybe they don't appreciate it as much as you do. It's possible. You know, people who are born here just take it for granted. Mm-hmm. I learned it at a, a, a later age and learned to appreciate it more. Because you had, you had more to compare it to. Exactly. You, you lived in other places. Exactly. Other places. I, I always compared it back. What would this be like in San Jose? You, you couldn't do this in San Jose. People wouldn't treat you like this on the street, and they wouldn't. It was just a, a different attitude. People were faster paced, and people were busy. They didn't have time. But in Salt Lake, everybody had time for everybody. And I loved it. It was just wonderful. Now I want to talk about the Utes. Oh, I love the Utes. So, so we you, talk, you're wearing a Ute sweatshirt right now. Of course, it's yeah. a day. Ta-da! <laughs> so, so we talked a little about, a bit about your love of football and your playing football. And then you come to Salt Lake. And uh, it's it's not as big a deal here. Well, and, and Call Radio was the station of Utah, Utah Utes. I love that, that we were broadcasting the Utes, so we had a home base. 
And so I instantly fell in love with Utah Utes and uh, was going up to the games up there. And then we thought, after about a couple of years, uh, Bruce and I thought it would be a, a fun gimmick because they weren't get, they, were, they didn't have really good teams back mm-hmm. then. They weren't doing that well. They weren't drawing. BYU was all oh was BYU. great. Everyone loved yeah. BYU. Everyone went to B, but not so much the U. A lot different than it is now. Now it's it's probably about even now, depending on where you're at. Oh, well, the U's is now they're, they're packing the stadium. Mm. But for a te- yeah, I mean BYU still does. But as yeah. far as better teams, U's no, the Utes obviously. Yeah. But, oh yeah. But the amount of fans, like a lot of people, like both teams. Back then, the U's weren't doing well. And so Bruce and I conjured up it'd be to uh, help promote the youths. It'd be kind of fun if I suited up and played in the spring game. And so we went up and talked to the coaches up there, and they go, you want to do what? And how, how, how old, old were you? How I was old? just going to ask, yeah. <laughs> I was uh, 31. I was still, I thought I was still 18. <laughs> I can play with these kids. 31 years old, that's not bad. <laughs> so we talked them into it. <clears throat> and the kids didn't know who the hell I was. <laughs> they never listened to call radio. Yeah. We tried to explain to them, yeah, this is a guy that's on the radio and he's going to work out with you guys and try to even some publicity and and uh, some, no, excuse me, notoriety. For it's the, a great uh, idea. Yeah. So um, I go up there and I start playing with the kids. And after a while, I get to know some of them pretty well. And they're really cool, and a couple of the guys became really cool with me being there. Other guys thought, who's this intruder, you know? <laughs> and a couple of the guys wanted me out of there, and they smacked me around pretty good. <laughs> we're going to show this guy what, what you yeah. did. Yeah. You want to play quarterback? Bam! Gonna, <laughs> and so they'd come in and pop me pretty good, and I loved it. I just loved it. So I played in the spring game, and uh, we, I had my, uh, <laughs> my own jersey, my name on the back, and uh, it was a yellow jersey with a big question mark on it. <laughs> you didn't have a number? Barberry, no, it was a question mark. <laughs> and we, we did the introductions. Of, the players would introduce themselves, you know, so-and-so from Scotland High School, so-and-so from East High School. Uh, you introduce yourself to the fans. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, Tom Barberry, Ofer State, no class at all, you know. And everybody <laughs> laughed. And uh, so I played in the spring games for uh, three years up there. And just dearly loved it. Mm-hmm. Had fun. You've got a big poster of you playing football. I'll have yeah. to show you, Festus. It's oh, you've got eight. that? Do you have a copy of it? No, you have it? no, yeah. no, I thought you have it. You don't have it? I haven't seen that for years. Oh. It was about the size of that window. Yeah. It's, it's him huge. playing football with, at with the, the U. Yeah, it shows me uh, taking the ball from center and going back into the pocket. But it's a really cool picture because mm-hmm. right after that I got creamed. <laughs> <laughs> now talk about t- tailgating. Well, going to the games... And coming from the Bay Area, I used to go up to Stanford. Love to watch Stanford. And that rickety old stadium held 90,000 people up at Stanford. And they tailgated under the eucalyptus trees. And I see all these people with their cars, and they would put food, and they're having fun. And I thought, gee, this is really great. And I bet the U, nothing. So I told Bruce, says, we ought to see if we can get a, a space up there uh, that we can start tailgating. So we went up and asked the... Uh, Athletic director Arnie Farron. Yeah. There we go. Good. That's good. That's good. There we go. <laughs> so I met with uh, Arnie Farron 
and a couple other guys from the university and uh, told them we would like to uh, start a tailgate spot and we'd like a, a place in the, uh, the west lot where we could uh, encourage people to come and uh, bring food and come early mm -hmm. and tailgate. And did people get it? At first, no. No. <laughs> so I had to teach him. I said, no, come on up early, bring some sandwiches. Why would we do maybe, that? The game doesn't start till six. Yeah, come up at two, bring a grill, maybe we can cook some hamburgers and hot dogs. And so about uh, 50 people came up and they started doing this. And they started having fun. Yeah. Then other people would come and park and go to the game and they'd walk by and smell guys cooking. And they'd go, this looks good. <laughs> so we grew from a little to a lot. We sold our tailgate passes the first year for a dollar a game. <laughs> a dollar. And what, do you know what it's up to now? No. You don't know? I, think you don't so. I don't even know if you can get them. They're the kind of thing oh, that, sold are, out. that are yeah. passed down, like yeah. generation to generation. You can't like get your a tailgate grandfather pass. still mm -hmm. has his. Yeah. From the last I heard, they were like about 150 bucks. Wow. But now you can't get one. Because they're, they're all gone. They're all Everyone's gone. got them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, the tailgate lot just grew and grew and grew, and it became just the place to be. Mm -hmm. Still is. I mean, now is oh, just love it. it's well, amazing. You, you live right by it, yeah. so every, yeah. every time there's a game there. Tailgating is, and that's just the best place to tailgate, the West Lot. Is just, and then we, they moved us from the West Lot to the uh, VA Lot, mm -hmm. and the VA Lot was perfect, just across the street from yep. the stadium. No, Ute fans have you to thank. Oh. For the, no, not. They did it. I just gave them a, a reason, reason to have a party. Well, that party has grown and grown and grown. and. I'm so proud. Um, there was a picture of my, my, my doctor, Ross Brunetti, biggest Ute fan in the world. In fact, you go to his office. He's, I love this man. You go to his office, everything is Ute. He's got Ute posters and Ute, uh, footballs and all kinds of stuff in his office. Everything is Ute. So we went up there, and this is after I've been uh, handicapped for a little while. Dad, you, you've, got, you've got MS, that's what. Yeah, I can't walk. I'm totally immobile. So I mean, Ross says, no, we'll get you up there. So I can drive a car. My right leg still works. I can still drive. So I drove up there. You got a golf cart. Had a big sign uh, put up there. Uh, Tom Barberry, Godfather of Tailgating, on the side mm -hmm. of this golf cart. Godfather of Tailgating, I like that. And put me in the golf cart. We drove all around the tailgate lot and visited <laughs> with all the, all the people tailgating. And it was the best day of my life. I just absolutely loved it. They know who you are. Yeah. It was, it was just great fun. What? Um, just to go back in time a little bit more, I don't think Festus knows about this. Sorry, Aiden. I can't do it. Whatever you want. Yeah, we're, <laughs> it's just it's instinct. He's a man. He's yeah. Satan. Hey. I, I want you to tell them about the People's Parade. Oh, yes. The Bicentennial for the nation. And unfortunately for Utah, the Bicentennial fell on a Sunday. Everyone's at church? They were going to have a parade on Saturday. And I said, no, that's <laughs> not right. The 4th of July is on the Fourth of July. <laughs> I'm going to have a parade on the Fourth of July. You're damn right. And we're going to march from the city county building up to the state capitol and sing Happy Birthday to America. Anybody who wants to join us can. And people showed up in droves. They came. They brought their campers and boats and vans. 
floats. There floats. Were... They made floats. I mean, it was just a ton of people. Th- there were thousands of people. Oh, and yeah. is this all from you um, like promoting it on the air and talking about it on the exactly. air? Exactly. That's the only place the power it was. radio. Yeah. My my boss Homer was stunned. He stood on the sidewalk and looked at these people. Goes, I can't believe he did that. He did it. And we went to uh, uh, Salt Lake Honda, and uh, Mike and I got a couple little mini bikes, and so we. Uh, patrol the parade on our mini bus. Yeah, you went up and down. I remember. So yeah, Mikkel and I. You were in the bus. In the bus. We're in. Uh, we're on a float. Yeah. You stuck us on there, and we said, "Well, we'll you meet guys you." Wait, wave to people. We'll meet you at the end. Because yeah. you were riding around on your bike, but somebody made a big uh, book about the bicentennial people's parade. Yeah. I've got one. I think in my office. I'd love to show it to you. Yeah, I, that'd be cool. I'm talking thousands of people. You know, like for the 24th of July and how. Right. <laughs> On a Sunday. Yeah, but, but, that that many people, like you were saying, through the power of radio. Yep. Showed up on that. I mean, you had no idea how many people would no. be there. It's got, me and Mike, as Mike and I are going to uh, parade up to the uh, state capitol, and anybody who wants to join us, please come. Well, I was stunned. And then the sheriff's department, the guys took off work, and they patrolled the parade for us oh, and wow. did traffic control. They were all on their motorcycles. And, I mean, it was just an amazing affair. I think Mel can find that book in my office. I'd love to. I'd the, love uh, to get some book. pictures yeah. from get pictures it. Of it yeah. yeah, but the, that was just a wonderful day, and so we went up to State Capitol. Uh, Commissioner Graz, Jess was there, and we all uh, stood on uh, Capitol steps and sang "Happy Birthday to America" on the Fourth of July. As it should have been. Yeah, not the third of July. No, <laughs> no, on the Fourth of July. But it was my luck that it fell on a Sunday, which gave me the impetus to do a thing. And the people responded, and that was back when radio was radio was powerful. Mm-hmm. We had power. Uh, people responded to the stuff that we did. Well, but they responded to you, though, Dad. They weren't well, doing that with. with I, if I anybody would have said it, not necessarily <laughs> thousands of people would have showed up. I gave them an excuse, but we had so much fun with them. People, I said, people wanted to have fun, and I gave them a reason to have fun, and that's that was my whole goal in life: is just have a laugh and have some fun and have people have a good time. And that's to me. That's what radio is. It's entertainment. Radio is entertainment. It's fun. Hundred percent. Yeah. You know what wasn't fun though? Oh. When you got attacked in the parking lot. Oh yes. Uh, this guy on a bike. <laughs> I was going to one uh, work one morning, and uh, he was a little strange. And this guy on a bike came by, in the parking lot. And I was walking up the steps. He lunged at me and stabbed me in the leg. With a screwdriver. With a screwdriver. And it was, did no damage. Poked a hole in my jeans. But uh, pissed me off pretty good. Yeah. yeah someone then, tries to stab you, you're not yeah. going to be happy about it. And then the, the engineer came out. And the engineer called 911. And the cops came. And they, they did a whole sweep of the parking lot in the area. And... Then the newspaper got a hold of it. Okay, oh, wait. Geez. Let me stop you there. <laughs> okay. So I'm in co- I, I'm in college then. Oh gosh. And I'm I'm driving to school, and I hear Tom Barberi attacked at the radio. He was stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> like what? He was stabbed. Dad? <laughs> so you heard this on on the radio, yes. right? Yes. What they were talking about. And then I so I tune over, and he's on the radio. 
like, what are you doing? And, and go to the and, hospital. Well, and, and you're saying, I, and they're saying Tom Barberi refused medical attention. <laughs> so I'm picturing him like with a tourniquet on his thigh. The show like, must go on. <laughs> he just barely nicked my Levi's. Yeah. So, <laughs> so left that part out conveniently. Yeah. <laughs> So after your show, I run up to your house, and you're on the couch. I'm like, Dad, are you okay? <laughs> yes. And you pull up your pants, and there's like this tiny little... little mark. I'm like... A little scratch. Listening to the radio, you would have thought he had... Bloody like, murder. Yeah, like he had his leg amputated. Well, it's better content if you were injured. Oh, it got on the radio, it worked great. Mm-hmm. It was just a scratch. He Guy denied medical attention. Oh. It they left funny. out the part that you didn't need medical attention. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, it's a better story. That yeah, way. it sounds better. I mean, it's it draws people in. The headline. That's that's the beauty of it. That's that's why radio is oh so much fun. You can amplify things, magnify things, and and and, and paint the picture. That's what radio is to me. Is is you are painting a picture with your mind and your microphone. You are giving people, and in their mind, they're they're seeing what you are telling them, mm-hmm. and that's the beauty of it: is uh, painting a picture with your mind. And that's why I love radio because there's there's no limits. There are no limits. And it's and it's immediate. It's right now. It's yes, whatever's yeah. happening right this. It's that's live. what you love about mm-hmm. it. You yeah. told me that. See, TV yeah. is. Oh, it happened there, and they'll show it at 6. Yeah. Happened there, show it at 10. It, it, it's, it's just not there. But radio, you've radio got, is you've got there. texting in, this happened. You talk about it. And like, like we were talking about with 9-11 the other day. Mm-hmm. We did an episode about 9-11, and you got a phone call or something where people said, did you hear about the Twin Tower, the plane that crashed? Yeah, we You're threw, out, right now. threw out our programming and start. And did you do that? How planned yeah. were you in your shows? Did you? I... The only planning I did was go through the papers, and I would cut articles out. I have a, a stack of little articles on my desk that was kind of my um, security blanket. Mm-hmm. So I knew if I, if I ran out of things to talk about, I could pick up an article and start talking about something here. But I would talk about maybe two or three things uh, of the uh, uh, 15 or 20 articles that I cut out. So when I would always have that kind of material in front of me. That gave me, a, like I say, a little security blanket of, of stuff but you would just kind of see where it went every day and exactly. that was just a backup if exactly exactly and then we were uh, on 9-11 we had a, a monitor in the studio and the tv was on and that happened and we were all shocked and mm-hmm. stunned and we, we went from there trying to uh, report what we saw mm-hmm. and heard this this horrible event it was just the most unbelievable thing to witness. Uh, we couldn't believe it, but uh, yeah, the people got to know about it. Exactly, they, they like they f- they feel comfort in hearing yeah. somebody somebody talk about it. Because radio is live and it's now, it's immediate. And that's a, and to this day, radio is immediate. When I listen to you, I know you're there. Mm-hmm. This isn't something you did. No, it's, t- it's something you're doing. Yep, and that's the importance of it. And you can react in real time, and it's right. live, and anything could happen. And you can react, and you can interact with listeners, which is something else that doesn't happen with oh, TV. Yes, you absolutely. had some great regular callers, oh, and gosh. helped. So, so do you. But it's but I I kind of learned it from from you. You'd have just people that became, became characters. Became characters. They became regulars on the show. 
They loved doing it. I loved them having them on. I trusted them. There was no delay. I never worked with a delay. And did that ever come back to bite you? Never. I trusted them because I had kind of an ear. I could tell if a person was a little edgy. And so I would be very careful with them and be short with them. But other people, let them go because I could tell that they were friendly fire. Who was the little old lady that wrote poems? Minerva. <laughs> Minerva Heppelfinger. <laughs> her name was Joan Goff. And she, was, and she, bless her heart, she had some seizures and so she wasn't totally uh, with it. And so her mom took care of her, but she loved the show and loved to write these poems about whatever I was talking about. Oh, she God. would write a poem about it <laughs> and call in. And I started calling her Minerva Heppelfinger. <laughs> you gave her that name. I gave her she that was name. a character. And, uh, and she would, Minnie would do these poems. And people just loved Minnie because <laughs> her poems were really funny. She would just I remember on and on and on. Did this for years. I loved her. She was great. Oh, it's I don't know why that made me think. This is this is out of timeline, but um, the magazine that you were in that I was in when I was a baby, the TV and Radio Mirror. Oh yes, I have a copy of that somewhere. And in it, there's a picture of you with Bill Cosby. Yes. What was that? Well, um, Cosby had a, a, a team of his buddies. They would play charity games. So we went down with the guys from the uh, phone company and uh, met Bill Cosby at his house. What was Bill Cosby's house like? Oh, mansion on uh, Tower Drive in uh, Hollywood Hills. It was- This in, is in the 70s. Yeah. And we went and uh, drove into the backyard, big brick opening and drove in the backyard. Two Mercedes, the license plate was uh, Mr. and Mrs. on the license plates. <laughs> and this gorgeous brick house. And went in there and into his den, which was big as our house. Beautiful den. And there's cause behind his desk. And he's got kind of like a jersey shirt on with Cosby on the, on the front of his shirt and Cosby on the back. And this is back when he was cool. He was Bill Cosby. <laughs> He's tailed to uh, pudding pops, you know. <laughs> this is Bill Cosby. This was before jailed Cosby. Yeah. And. It was a different era yeah. of Cosby. Oh, yeah. This is when he was, and he was my hero. And uh, luckily I had a, my um, recorder with me and I put it on the, on the floor next to his desk and turned it on and just let it go. And we talked to him about uh, possibility of uh, putting a game together with uh, Archie. We had a team called the uh, KLIV Prunes. There we go. We're back to the prunes. The prunes. Back to the prunes. Full circle. <laughs> we played uh, area high school faculties in charity basketball games. Oh, fun. <laughs> and, so we, and it was really great fun. The kids loved it because the faculty was out there playing against the prunes. <laughs> and Jack, who ran the team, got a couple of real players. I mean, real players. And so you ST were just goofing around. We were, yeah, we were, we were DJs. Yeah. But we had like S.T. Saffold. He played for the 49ers and was also a basketball player. And uh, Bruce, and I can't remember Bruce's last name, but he played at Santa Clara, uh, University of Santa Clara. Great big tall guy, great basketball player. Another guy was a point guard, could hit it from anywhere, like mm -hmm. John Stockton. So we had 
couple of three or four, and, and Big Ed, Ed Hughes, he was a center. He used to play for the Washington Generals. Wow. Which was the traveling team for yeah. the Globetrotters. Mm-hmm. Big Ed. Huge guy. Really funny. So, and then there was us DJs. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd flop around on the court, try to dribble the ball and shoot. But uh, we would play the faculties of the various schools in San Jose. And it was just great fun. We I were love the, it. We were the KLIV prunes. <laughs> Uh, well, we're getting toward the end of our hour here. I'm kind of sad. I know. We can keep going if you want. This will be as long as you want. Oh, it to you've jogged some really fun memories. <laughs> what What do you, do you have any advice for, for me and for Festus continuing in, in your footsteps? I, I just do what you're doing. If you're having fun and, and you're doing it because I listen and it sounds like you're having fun, it's entertaining. It's a good time because if you're having a good time, the listeners are going to have a good time. And that's the key. If you have fun, it is infectious. Mm-hmm. It's catchy. That's why Tea Kettle Gina is so popular. <laughs> Sometimes I laugh so hard it sounds like a It's tea great. Kettle. Exactly. You've heard it. You've, oh, you've yeah, heard it. But it's great. <laughs> you know, but, but that's the key, to have fun. Because people want to have fun. And if you're having fun, they'll have fun with you. And that's, that's, that's the only thing I can say. I think that's a good place to end. I think so. Have a good time. This has been so nice, Pop. My pleasure. Thank you for making time for us. People have been, uh, they've been asking for it, so they're going to be happy. Oh, you're very kind. And uh, I love everybody out there. It's just, I miss the radio so much. They miss you. They was, tell me all the time. My favorite day was Monday. I got to go to work. I love Mondays. Well, we should do this again, and you can we can play radio again. How about that? You got it. I think okay. that'd be fun. Right. Uh, Remain seated podcast. If you have any thoughts on the show, anything you'd like us to talk about, uh, email Gina at x96.com, or you can go to our Twitter or Instagram at Remain Seated Pod. No, no, no. Don't get up. The stories of Southern black women are breathtakingly illuminated at Signature Theater in a soaring musical based on the acclaimed novel and film The Color Purple, featuring D.C. superstar Nova Y. Payton as Seeley and the voices Frenchie Davis. The Color Purple is filled with jazz, gospel, and blues music, performed by a cast of 16 and a live orchestra. Bring the whole family to see this Tony-winning musical live on stage now through October 9th at Signature Theater. Get tickets today at sigtheater.org.